Hello and welcome to another special episode of Triassic Park. And uh, we're going to continue uh, with a new format um, because we're going to be talking about King Kong 33, 1933 that is, all this month. And, uh, you know, this is a big topic, so um, we're going to split the making of and the actual discussion of the movie itself uh, into uh, two pieces. Uh, and uh, the reasons for which will be very obvious when you uh, listen to the episode in two weeks now, and it's 17 hours long. Anyways, I'm also joined by Jason. Hello, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the king, baby. The it's king, the king. The king. Um, and uh, you've been yeah. helping me do like a, a butt ton of of research. Um, yeah, that's a very scientific term <laughs> that we're using now. A butt yeah. ton. Yeah, like um, I've read probably roughly um five books on King Kong. I know you've read um many more than that. Um, and there's you know j- not even just books on King Kong, but you know, Miriam St. Cooper and O'Brien and, you know, Shoesdecker. Like, it's, you know, it is a black hole trying to uh, research King Kong. It's never-ending, you know? No, it never is. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons why uh, I thought I brought the other guest on, Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Hello. It's nice to be back and nice to not have done any homework. Yeah, no, and again, I wanted to have you on, one, because uh, you're a, a wonderful presence, always. Always good to have Sophie on. Always oh good to have Sophie. Oh my goodness, thank you. One of the best people who have ever existed. Um, but oh my she... god. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Put it on my tombstone. <laughs> you know? One of the best people to ever have existed. That is a great tombstone. Hey, you know, the truth uh, The truth is uh, forever set in stone. But also because um, you haven't done all this research, so you won't be as bogged down in the behind the scenes and uh, can kind of help anchor us in a discussion about the movie itself. Um, you will also be joining us uh, in two weeks to talk about the making of. And that's basically just so, um, one, we can make sure that what we're talking about is interesting and also get an outside perspective actually asking questions. Because if somebody just goes, oh, they just use a traveling mat, and you could just be like, what's a traveling mat? And I'll be like, well, it's not that doll from Fraggle Rock. It's a process of... And there's so much, like, you start looking at King Kong, and suddenly you're reading about how Marion St. Cooper flew a plane during the war and crashed, and you're like, what the fuck are we even talking about now? And so, yeah, and then, I can't wait for this. Oh, it's then, crazy. It's yeah. so much craziness, you know? And then you all of a sudden, you're looking at maps of Poland just to find <laughs> Marion St. Cooper Street. Also, right? a real thing. A Which real exists. thing that I sent to Jason. I was like, hey, hey, I, somebody said the street existed, so I, I went into Google Maps, and I was going through all of Poland, and uh, then I realized uh, I'm a loser. So anyways, um, let us... <laughs> that is not true at all. I will not allow you to speak about my friend that way. <laughs> Speaking of friends who should not be talked about in that way, uh, King Kong. Um, this is the big one. This is uh, this is the big one. Uh, and to, uh, to just start, I just kind of want to go around the horn and get everyone's first encounters with the mighty, mighty beast king. Sophie, how did uh, how did you first uh, encounter the eighth wonder of the world? So I actually had seen this movie one time before watching it most recently, and I couldn't remember what the context was. 
Um, but we watched this last weekend for Tweet with BGH, and while we were watching it, one of the fun facts that you shared about the making of the movie sort of like recovered a memory for me that the way I saw this movie was that I took a class in high school. I think I was in 11th or 12th grade. It was called Music in the Media. It was a music class that was solely dedicated to talking about the use of movie of music, particularly in films. Um, and so we watched this movie um, around the same time that we would have also watched of a all-time favorite of mine that I saw for the first time in that class, which was uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo, when we were talking about leitmotifs. Um, we watched that movie and this movie as examples. So um, I didn't remember a whole lot about it. Um, you know, I've seen the remake that came out in 2005. So I'm familiar with the plot, but didn't remember a lot about the original film until I rewatched it this past weekend. Um, and that was a blast. And I watched it with my fiance who had never seen it. Um, and it was really fun to watch with him cause he just was like blown away by everything. Yeah. It's one of those things that's like, it's, it still has power all, all these years later, it's nearly 90 years old and it yeah. still, it still has, uh, it still has power to, uh, capture the mine and capture the adventure and also the racism of the time, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that soon. Um, uh, Jason, how, how did you first, uh, encounter, this movie yeah i was very young when i first saw king kong um i i don't think i appreciated it then um but i've seen it countless times since then but i think there's a um i think that there's just an instinctive attraction to king kong like i think everything that happens on screen is so visceral that it makes it timeless like you said it's 90 years old um and it, it well, i i watched it I own this film, so I watched it again a few weeks ago, um, and my four-year-olds happened to come into the room while I was watching it, um, and they stuck and watched this 90-year-old film um, all the way through to the end, completely blown away. Like, I, th- you know, I think it's, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking, you know, and especially for a film that's extensively, uh, ostensibly a... I guess a special effects picture, right? For it to be so timeless, um, the themes and the things that happen in it and the visuals and the music and the lighting for it to all come together it, in, you know, despite all the things that are obviously flawed with it, um, that I'm sure we're going to get into. Um, I think it's a film that will last forever. You know, I, I, I just think it's, it, it's timeless. And that that is a that is a great point. In in a lot of ways, I have always called King Kong, uh, thirty three, the ultimate in pulp storytelling, which is everything that you can get from a pulp story. And and by that, I'm like talking about like, uh, you know, Alan Quartermain, uh, Captain Nemo. Well, actually, those are more literary literary characters. But um, uh, you know, dime store well, this novels too, that you, right? yeah, exactly. Um, like dime store adventure novels. And this is like everything that you can get from a storytelling element of pulp. And it also has all of the inherent flaws of a pulp story. So it is really all encompassing in that fact that it really does capture everything that, 
that you can get from this 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 type of tail, and uh, it takes all of the baggage along with it, uh, which of course we will we will get into it and kind of break down. But I, I do find it very notable that you know I, I mentioned Alan Quartermain and Captain Nemo, and you know those are characters that um, were big on film for a, a, a long time. Uh, you know, up up to probably about the the sixties, and the most er, the latest uh, version of them on film, like I think, uh, was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen in two thousand four, right? Like, not a good movie, but I think oh, God, that was the man. last time that these character that those characters appeared yeah. on uh, on screen. I'm sure that there might be um because you know they're public domain characters, so they may have shown up in, in other things, but they're not getting the big budget treatment anymore. And Kong has somehow lasted. He's gone from the '30s to the '70s to the '80s to uh, the 2000s and beyond like he's you know we're we're still talking about kong kong has a movie coming out in a month right like godzilla (laughs) versus kong is coming out so it's crazy too because it's you know we know way more about gorillas now than we did then obviously right um a lot of this and we'll get to the behind this thing the scenes stuff and i really don't want to go into that right now because um, I, I want to keep this to the, the text and the subtext of the film as much as possible. But a lot of this is inspired by a story about gorillas attacking people, right? In the in the jungle, in some ways, right? Right. Because, um, like, uh, you know, when we, Mar- Marion C. Cooper was really young, he, yeah. he got a, he, he just got like a, a super outdated jungle adventure t- text that was probably written by a man who didn't even set foot on the continent, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Who, exactly. Who knows? So, but, so, yeah. so. What we know about the gorilla is that it's one of the most gentle creatures in the world, right? Um, so, and, and I think in a lot of ways, one of the things that makes this timeless is that Kong is the victim in many ways, right? Not the um, not the actual monster. People are the monster, right? That'd be my argument about this film. Um, I, but still, like, we look at the stuff that happens in this film, like, there's a moment um, where a brontosaurus starts attacking people, right? And my four-year-old, um, one of my four-year-olds tells me today, already, that she wants to be a paleontologist. Like, that's, she loves dinosaurs. So she's like, brontosaurus don't eat people. Like, that's like, you know, that right. was like her immediate, like, thought process, right? And I think that was my thought process as well, right? Every time I see it, um, but the I guess because King Kong is outside the realm of what we think of as a regular Godzilla, he, or, I mean, rather uh, gorilla, he becomes something else, right? He becomes um, a legendary monster because of his size and the facial expressions that he has, right? I attribute a lot of what makes King Kong work is willis o'brien to me right and what he did with this with this um incredible uh design you know the face and the Um, movement you know and all of that yeah no exactly exactly that's a that is a that is a great point and uh, you know it's it's one of the things that that's kind of funny um is that when you when you do a podcast on dinosaurs what you actually have to do especially when we're in this era is learn about outdated paleontology Mm -hmm. and you have to learn about outdated science because they originally didn't think that the like the brontosaurus could hold its weight on land 
Um, yeah. So that's why in this movie they're like aquatic swamp creatures um, yeah. because they, they just thought like that it would be literally too heavy for them to sustain uh, their weight on land. And that's they, they literally reference that element in Jurassic Park because when they first uh, arrive upon the Brachiosaurus, uh, you know, Ellie goes to Alan and it's like, see, they don't live in swamps. They, 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 they graze like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like they're, they're giraffes. And mm. it's one of those things where, you know, before doing this, I, I never caught that line in Jurassic Park. Right. And, and, you know, uh, one of the very fascinating and rewarding things about doing the podcast is kind of learning a little bit about uh, how we used to think dinosaurs were right. Um, and you know, for me, the the first time that I encountered this movie was 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 very was very at, at in the hindsight, it's goofy that I fell for it as much as I did because I saw this. I was I was in college, first year of college. I I brought it home and I put it on screen and I was like completely just taken with the movie and I was like, this movie's so mysterious. Like, how did this happen? I've never even heard of these directors. Like, what is mm-hmm. going on? Do they actually go and do some of this? There's like stuff? a mystique like, behind it, right? Yeah, it was yeah. like totally the mystique behind it. This like amazing adventure that happened, and it just like completely fell for it. Like, uh, you know, obviously you knew that Kong was a special effect, but you didn't know about everything else, right? Like, I, w- one of the most notable things about this movie is um, you don't realize just how much of it is taken from other movies, and I don't mean from a script department. I mean from a physical department because that uh that giant wall is is like from the cecil b demille's uh king of kings uh and it Mm -hmm. went from one king to uh another king uh for king kong and it's just one of those things where you you just kind of like fall completely in love with it and I, I think doing more research on it and putting it more into context makes you actually appreciate the film more just because you see how they kind of manage to to put so many elements of, of other things into the film itself. And, you know, again, I don't want to completely derail and just talk about behind the scenes elements, but it's really important to put one very important context on this film. This was made during the Great Depression. And it wasn't called the Great Depression because things were great. It was called the Great Depression because things were really fucking bad. Yeah, I was there. It was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 like Jason he, saw this for the first time in theaters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you know, I, I was a boom mic operator on this film. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, and it, it was really it's it's really just remarkable from that perspective because you you see how they managed to make an adventure film from a time period when you know that's the that's the most important thing to people like escapism was what yeah. people needed like of any of anything during that time escapative escapism was was really sought out but it didn't pretend like the great depression wasn't happening which i thought was a very interesting interesting element of the movie because the way it opens and you know uh you know denim is trying to find uh who eventually he does he finds Anne, and they go on their finds is a um well, a okay, very yes. nice way of saying that well, i mean we, we will talk about but what i mean is that like <laughs> he goes to like food lines and like women's yeah. homes and he kidnaps really a homeless see... woman this is essentially what happens <laughs> You really, I, you really get a, a, you get a sense of how terrible things were 
at that time. And, you know, it just, uh, it's one of those things where people talk about this film as timeless. And, and of course, there are many things about it that, that are, but it is also very rooted in mm. that Great Depression era. And I think of it a lot, uh, especially in the time period we're living now, um, you know, which is this that quarantine ep- pandemic times. And you hear a lot of people being like, don't sit, don't even acknowledge the pandemic in your script, blah, 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 blah. And I think, uh, you know, I think Kong 33 does show that there is some benefits for at least acknowledging the uh, societal trauma of the time and uh, kind of using that. I think the best genre films do that, right? That it it doesn't make something less timeless um, because you're acknowledging certain, you know, social aspects, right? Um, I just, I think if you think of the most impactful genre films, they are talking about what's actually happening in some form, right? Right. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. I've been, um, during this quarantine, I've been rewatching, uh, Mad Men with my wife. Um, cause she's never seen it. An amazing show. Um, but we just watched the, um, episode that's about, um, the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, and during that episode, um, Don takes his son to go see Planet of the Apes, right? Um, right. And they watch that film twice, right? And at the end, there's a um, African American um, um, usher that comes in, and the son um, is talking about Planet of the Apes and how sad it makes him for the treatment of certain people. And the usher thinks he's talking about the assassination, even though the son has no idea that's actually going on in the world. But they've escaped to from he's escaped with his son from the trauma of what's going on outside to this film um and and i think that's um that's what makes something timeless right is that you can you talk about the things that matter in great genre which is why i think um genre films have always sort of gotten a bad rap um, about just being stupid escapism, but the best never are. Godzilla is not escapism either, right? It's about the trauma <laughs> of... No, it's definitely of, not. Right? I mean, but some people think of it that way, right? Without the context of it. Um, and I, I think I, the same thing happens to King Kong. I mean, King Kong... I mean, I th- it's funny. I think of commercials I've seen King Kong in sometimes, even before the movie. Or, you know, the Simpsons uh, Treehouse of Horror... Or Trios of Terror, episode, you know, the third one with King Homer, right? Um, it, you know, sometimes before I even think of this film, and I've seen it countless times because it's so... You just think of the imagery before you think of the subtext, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, um, Sophie, what did you think about the, the, you know, the opening elements of this film that was kind of like going through the um you know the 1930s of it all and uh what 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 is your kind of experience about king king kong as like a cultural icon i mean i'm definitely with jason where like leading up to watching it this most recent time um as i said before i thought i had seen it but i couldn't remember when i had seen it and there were parts of me that couldn't recall if I had actually seen it or I just thought I had because so much of this movie has become so ubiquitous in pop culture. Um, As Jason was mentioning, I mean, I remember being a kid and going to Disney World and Universal Studios with my dad. And before we went, he bought one of those guidebooks that had like a description of every single Mm -hmm. ride. And I, it was my favorite thing to do to just sit and read 
what the like read about the rides before I got there. And I remember reading about the King Kong ride and being like, Dad, that sounds so scary. Um, <laughs> and I did. I mean, I didn't ever go on it, but because it was, I was too young the first time I went, and the next time I went to Disney, it was gone, um, or to Universal. But it it's just it is a movie that has had such a massive impact on pop culture. Um, but that being said, I was so grateful to watch it a second time because there's so much there's so much more going on within this movie that I mean, as I'm sure is the case with most movies that become sort of like memed and snipped into other things. There's so much more going on in this movie than you would ever understand, you know, from seeing um, parodies of it or from even seeing like famous sequences. You really need to just experience the entire thing with the score and, you know, everything else. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, it is very much an autobiographical piece about like Mary C. Cooper's life, right? Like the, the Mary C. And Cooper yeah. and and Shodzak, right? Like oh, the, Ernest Ernest B. Shodzak and uh, Mary C. Cooper, um, because this is the life that these guys lived. Like one of the things that was uh, one of my elements of research was going through these old documentaries they call them natural dramas um when uh when they made them and that was basically because as after their first film because they they did uh, there are two huge documentary features that these two teamed up for which was grass and a movie called chang uh mm. they, they were a big fan of the that one word title which is why you know the, they originally wanted to call this movie kong and then it, it got changed to king kong um, but I, I, I watched those movies and for, they were documentaries of, of a time and place. Um, now Chang has a lot more, um, fabricated elements to it as far as they were kind of forcing people together as like, Hey, you're a family. Here you go. Like pretend to be a family as we do this. But also there's this weird level of naturalism to it because these people were definitely not actors, right? Because <laughs> they were deep in the jungle and these people did not have uh, access to like uh, all of these things. And that all these elements of their adventures uh, really does seep into this movie and even so much as uh, the the writer, the the final credited writer, there there are multiple writers on Kong, but um, Ruth Rose, who was yeah. the wife of Ernest P. Shodzak, uh, was alongside them on on I think Four Feathers afterwards. Um, I don't think she was on the set of Chang, but I'm I pretty sure they, she was on Four Feathers. Yeah, yeah, she definitely was on Four Feathers because she ha- she helped them shoot all the like Africa scenes, right. which had some like crazy dangerous shit because again, well, they, yeah. they were maniacs basically um but she she wrote all the dialogue for this this film and a lot of the dialogue is directly taken out of their real adventures um you know all of the the sexism of jack that is legitimately who ernest sojsack was he was like this gruff tumble like wait why are we bringing a woman on this adventure and then he like felt like fell in love with this naturalist who was on this adventure and was like super badass. Mm. And that was Ruth Rose. Like Ruth Rose started life as a an actress, and then um, she basically there was like an actor strike, and he she became like a conservationalist. She was like she's a, a, yeah she crossed the picket line. 
Yeah, well, ba- well, no, no, she didn't because she went out and did a whole different thing. She yeah, had nothing to do with that. Like, um, she's she's very accomplished, but like the 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 love story at the heart of this is literally their love story. And uh, it, is it, this it, a love story? I, I mean, I, well, I mean, no, so uh, sorry, I need to jump in here and say it is the story of how much we all love King Kong. Yeah, well, okay, that's the love. But but here's the thing, right? Like, I know mean, we're gonna talk about the. It doesn't race. mean it's effective, right? I'm, not okay. just saying, I'm just saying the romance element of the yeah. film was based off of their their real stuff. And I, I again, like what you're saying is like you can see the 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 problems in that in that uh, r- I, real relationship. But also, what what's super fascinating is that Denim is the villain, and Denim was a hundred percent based off of <laughs> Marion C. Cooper. Right, like, yeah. uh, Robert Armstrong was like, "Oh yeah, I just based my entire performance off of this fucking madman, <laughs> like Marion." Well, it, yeah, and he is Marion Cooper is a was a madman, right? But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I just have to say, like, the story of King Kong, if you just look at it, is uh, you know a lot of, a lot of it's made of the racism of King Kong, right? And I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. But like, I really think the biggest problem is the sexism of King Kong. Like, this story is about. Uh, uh, this is the dangers of directors like that's what this this film is about right like he scoops a woman off the street um lies to her puts her in an incredibly dangerous situation right a homeless woman at that and then brings king kong back king kong breaks out and kills a bunch of people and the end of the film is him saying somehow this is a woman's fault basically well, right? yes. I, I, yeah. <laughs> it was beauty killed the beast. I, no, motherfucker. You killed him by bringing him out of the jungle. It had nothing to do with her. Right, You're just I, an I asshole. Just, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you could kind of read that as being an intentional, atten- oh. intentional, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. It's just uh, a reading you could have. I would be interested, uh, Sophie, what what your views, especially on the sexism, is because obviously it's sexist. I'm, I'm not trying to defend that. I'm just saying uh, it was like real sexism that she had to experience, which I think was interesting that it made it into the picture. Yeah, it's it was fascinating to watch because I think, like as as Jason and you both acknowledged, like I think um, this movie within popular culture sort of has a reputation for the elements of it that have to do do with race and no one ever really talks about the gender stuff. Right. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's really difficult. Uh, I mean, honestly, one of the things that like really rides the line, but I mean, because it, I shouldn't say it that way, but it is both incredibly racist and incredibly sexist is when the chieftain on the island is like, I'll trade you like seven of my women for one of yours oh, was like, I felt like I had to go take a shower. It was so upsetting. But oh yeah, that's bad. Like that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> it's and, awful. <laughs> but like we beyond will... that, we're taking we... a stand against trading women. Beyond that, it's like the the idea that yes, obviously the idea that they like lie to this woman and kidnap her and put her in danger, <laughs> and they try to make Stop. it seem like this really, like the movie is sort of placing it like it's this really lovely, glamorous adventure she gets to go on. And then when she gets kidnapped, 
it seems like the main impetus to rescue her is that that one guy loves her, so he has to rescue right. her because he wants to have her. And it's like, how about you just rescue her because y'all put her in this situation, and now she's in mortal peril. It did seem like they were all going ham, and then all the people who were actually brave on the boat died at the log, and then Denim was like, fuck that, I ain't doing shit. I'm going back. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back. I'm, but yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Again, I... This is a terrible fact now that I realize it. Uh, that is a re- the 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 casting of Anne was again another uh, another true to life tale uh, for somebody who got who was like a the one of the person who was like a a bit part in this film used to be uh, like a knife thrower and this is apparently how he found one of his assistants once and uh, yeah anyways mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that's great uh, don't throw knives at random women um <laughs> oh carnies carnies back in the day i bet you that was a real nightmare um but <laughs> yeah if that but you're you're totally right and that, that's one of the one of the things uh the the especially racist things about this uh is it's so funny that the 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 movie is like so devoted to being this very specific kind of racism um when like if you if you pay attention to where the island is like this is not like it is nowhere near like africa at all this is not what the the natives on that island would be like they're in an area of the world where if there were any uh, people who are native to that island they would be of like asian descent right and like again they really do p- terrible pigeon English to Charlie. That's a te- like what Ooh, they do yeah, to Charlie, Charlie the cook is just is real bad, real bad. And they they are just really kind of devoted to 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 kind of doing the gamut. Uh, and again, we, we are we are talking about all this stuff up front because uh, I think there's undeniably a lot of things to love about this movie. But you yeah. know, we can't we can't just go like oh let's talk about these fun adventure that like yeah. ignore well, I- ignore these facts and i i i would say uh if you listen to last week's ep- uh, episode i would suggest reading horror noir um th- that and, and reading the chapter on uh, on jungle movies in general to kind mm. of get a real real good grasp of uh, of what's going on and and that chapter is available um you know is is just easily available to be to be found um so you know when yeah it... I... oh sorry go ahead I didn't no, 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 no. I, no, was no, say, no. I was just say the um racism of king kong like i think um some people might attribute it to being kong himself right and i don't i don't see that but i mean i, I you know definitely def- different people have different reads i think the the racism is rooted in like colonialism and the sentiment around um the people that are uh the indigenous people who live on this island right like that's and charlie right like um at least charlie they try to give him some semblance of a character like he's not a bad guy but it's really fucking racist obviously um but like the colonialistic like ideas and sentiments that are ingrained in a person like marion Seen cooper um and um you know shootsack are all over this film right like we can just we're white people and we can just run amok on fucking somebody else's island because we have the right because we're white and we deserve the right to be on Skull Island and do whatever the fuck we want, including throwing bombs, shooting dinosaurs, right? All of these things that um, ostensibly are part of the entire ecosystem of this island that have been there for, you know, millennia, assuming, right? 
since there's a dinosaur here. Um, eh, you know, so I mean, I really like um, the, the colonialistic sentiment is like one of the things I really take a huge umbrage with this film. Um, but I guess that comes with the, um, you know, 1930s adventure film in general, right? I think that's part and parcel of that genre, but it doesn't well, make it yes. any less alarming. You know, yeah, no, it. it is definitely like indicative of uh, 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 of that era of of adventure filmmaking, um, but you know, still, uh, still, uh, you know, still worth talking about. Uh, obviously, yeah. <laughs> obviously, um, I, and again, I I would re- really recommend um, reading that horror noir uh, and the chapter on it. Just read the it, entire it, book. How about that? Well, no, of course it's a great <laughs> book, but again, on this on this specific yeah. issue, it would be best to to actually um, go and listen to a person of color when uh, when with especially on on topics like For this. For sure, um, and uh, yeah, so that those are very important issues to to kind of talk about. Um, what uh, I, I I I was just curious what. Did you have to preface uh, some of that stuff to your to your kids when they watched it, or were they just kind of like popping in and out about the dinosaur stuff? Yeah, they they were mostly interested in the dinosaurs and the special effects, right? Um, they they weren't even there for the um, beginning parts of that, um, you know, training the women and shit like that, or any of the like boat ride or any of that. Um, you know, they they were mostly into it for the. Um, for the uh, special effects and the, the dinosaurs and things like that. Um, I'm I'm a parent that really believes that if a child asks a question, they're ready for the answer, right? Um, but we had sort of blown past all of that stuff for the most part because I was in my um, office watching it, right? And they just happened to come in. Um, and I didn't think it was anything particularly objectionable past the point, you know, there's, there's the point where uh, King Kong comes out and he starts decimating these these uh native people right but um you know i I, at that point we're sort of at the uh juncture of action more than you know um the setup of the characters which which a lot of the problematic elements lie i think in this film yeah Um, no uh that's very true like it's it's a very fascinating in that like that early probably about i would say about half hour 40 minutes is where you get the really questionable stuff. And then it kind of just what? slowly just becomes like an amazing special effects masterpiece almost. Like it's just uh, like just as soon as you really get Willis O'Brien, as soon as Willis O'Brien comes on, um, that really kind of is the is the ticket, right? This, this film pops like once. Yeah, exactly. Once, you know, um, and I want to come back to one more thing um, where you were talking about how your fiance was blown away by this film. You're now fiance, right? Um, and it's really telling, like everybody knows what happens in this film, right? Like I'm sure he walked in watching this film for the first time knowing King Kong goes to New York, right? right? He climbs the building. King Kong, right. The, the the planes come like he knows beat for beat what happens in this film before having never seen it and it's still riveting like i think that's like man what what um a statement of how a great film can't be spoiled you know oh a hundred percent and i i'm sure you guys will talk about this more when you do some of your making of stuff but since i hadn't seen this movie in such a long time 
Um, I was so blown away by a lot of the effects of Kong and the dinosaurs. Like, yes, of course they are somewhat dated, but they're not nearly as dated as you would expect for a movie that is this old. It's almost a hundred years old and these effects are pretty great. They look better than the fucking uh, Star Wars prequel effects. Yeah, they've aged better than most CGI. Like, this movie is the perfect yeah. argument for why you should use practical. Well, yeah. And, well, I think it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I forget. I think it was Roger Ebert who who, who coined this phrase where it, it says that CGI looks real but feels fake, whereas, uh, you know, stop motion looks fake but feels mm. real. That's so true. It's so and, real. And, and, because, like, it needs weight. It needs to... Those yeah. kind of things, like, especially CGI effects when you're creating something that would take up a lot of space in three-dimensional in three dimensional space, it, mm -hmm. it just doesn't... No matter how good your rendering is, it's never going to have the physical weight that a real thing is going to have. I would so much yeah. rather have mediocre practical effects than CGI that is like mind blowing, but it's gonna look terrible in two years. Yeah, can I watch something that had an actual fucking beam of light hit it at any time? Right. You know well, what I mean? <laughs> well, that and I, I think, I think again because so the, true, Sophie. The, the act of uh, yo, yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent, Sophie. I agree. I, I'm going to uh, go along with your point. Um, <laughs> it almost seemed like Jason was like, yeah, you're right, Sophie. Andrew's <laughs> Andrew's no, gonna that was about how much no. he loves CGI. <laughs> no, I mean, he does love just... the prequels so let's hear your defense andrew of cgi go no 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 <laughs> I, and i and, and uh, by far i think the prequels are may actually be just as if not more racist quad that racist it's, fucking stereotype. Uh, it, it was uh it, it's one of those things where you can really the way that animation is done in in stop motion is it really feels like a performance um, because it has to be right. They have to do all of these subtle little movements and and they have to you know go frame by frame by frame to really kind of sync everything up and really kind of get everything going exactly how they want to and how they want to portray this character. And it, 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 it really does kind of show that, you know, w Willis O'Brien and, you know, some of the people who were kind of assisting in the animation process really brought this life to Kong in the way that he moves and the way that he reacts. And, and like even like little things like uh, there's a, this moment in the cave where he first sets Anne down and the Elasmosaurus, which is the thing that kind of looks like a snake, but it's not because it has mm -hmm. legs, uh, kind of sneaks up on Anne. Um, it, you, you know, somebody there was like a uh, one of the documentaries I was talking about was kind of like, why did Kong turn his back? Like, why was Kong had his attention back and and turned? Like, I I always wondered. Like, was there any reason? And then he watched it, and it just if you see it on film. Kong is picking up a flower for Anne. Like yeah. you barely yep. see it. Like it's not even like a, a thing that the they really 
point out in the film. Like, it's just a thing that happens to the side of the action because your eyes are immediately drawn to the, the scene of, like, the Elasmosaurus, like, creeping up on Anne because you're attached to Anne. And really, they didn't have to. They did not have to do anything really for Kong in that scene. But they they did bother to animate Kong picking up a flower to give to Anne. And it's these little, these little touches, at, uh, like playing with the jaws of the of the T Rex, um, like the the playful nature when he's like kind of sniffing the f- clothes and trying to figure out like what this like fabric is. Uh, and, yeah. and there's this little, there's these little moments of character and performance for Kong that you don't get with a lot uh, of CG. I mean, they're they're they are getting to that point with uh, with some really good motion capture and motion capture as long as they can get the eyes right and the eyes don't make you want to die. Um, as long as those are good, um, motion capture can can kind of get to this point of where it's a it's a singular presence and a singular identity to a, a CG character. But they're only just getting there, and 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 stop motion but was still- always. Uh, engrossed in that that level of character, and again, if you if you're if you're a huge CG fan, there's like no, nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. Everyone has uh, things that they prefer. For so, uh, we're definitely not trying to to take one art form and pit it against the other. That's not really going to be helpful at all. But I'm just speaking from a personal experience that it always does kind of have the extra level of character because uh, it was normally just one or two guys who are animating a very specific intense scenario yeah cg has its merits right but i think it's used best when in concert with um practical effect right like both things should be on screen right Um, and and i think jurassic park is the greatest example of that right like it uses cg but it uses it to the effect to enhance the things that you couldn't do with practical effects and make it improve it right um I mean, just for the the shots of King's face or King Kong's face, like so, if they had a crew of people with a giant face that are just manipulating the eyes, right? And you, you know, the the eyes of King Kong, um, and I'm really glad you brought this up, Andrew, because the eyes of King Kong are so relatable, and you can see the expressions on his face. Um, you know what he's thinking, right? He turns, like you say, he turns around to pick up a flower, right? He's fucking probably better to Anne than Jack Driscoll ever will be. He probably never picked a flower for for, for in her fucking life, right? Like that, like King Kong is a character, the best character in the film King Kong, as he should be, right? Right, and and um, you know, um, the, the there there are little things that um, again, are are things that you could be like if you were. So if you were to look at this film, like from um, maybe call it like a, a YouTube sensibility where you're just trying to point out inconsistencies and things that are wrong with them with it. And, and that is sometimes what I was going to say. But there are there are things that are that are not consistent in this movie that if you were you could just be like knock a point against it if you wanted to but like the idea that um you know the the size of kong changes changes dramatically from when he's on the island to when he's on uh when he's into the the city he like he he goes he becomes way huger when he's in the city and uh you know there there are little things like uh-huh. oh this face he this the face changes a few times cuz there are multiple different versions of kong's uh-huh. face 
but it doesn't matter. Like it, the the character and everything, it, like those nitpicks don't really exist until you've seen the film twenty thousand times and you know that. Or you're looking for something too. Oh, you, or you're looking for something. I I I personally, I never noticed the 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 size difference. Uh, until I had heard and read about it, right? I was like, oh, I mean, like, I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense that he'd be, that the size he was sized up for when he actually was rampaging through New York, but I I would have never even gave it another thought, right? Like, it, it's just, uh, it, it's one of those things where it's not, it's not perfect, but that's what makes it perfect in in a lot of ways. And I mm. I, I think that the imperfections in in certain sequences and certain segments kind of kind of give it character. But I, I was just curious what what you thought, Sophie. Like I really can't overstress how much I was blown away by the effects. <laughs> like it's and yes, I mean with especially like you were saying. Of course, there are things that are imperfect, and you know. But I love. For example, when we're seeing all the creatures moving around on the island, like that stop motion is so fantastic. And even though you are watching it be stop motion and you know that because it's stop motion, it is not real, there it, there is such a beautiful craft to it. Like everything about this movie yep. is really, really beautifully crafted. And yes... There are parts that don't age well, but I think that most of the stuff that doesn't age well is the racism, not the effects. I mean, I think there's the, the moments where, like, they make, like, the foreground, like, these uh, weird growth, right, around it. So you can only, like, shrink the size of the screen that I think are a little weird. Um, that's the cinema sin number one. But, yeah, who gives a fuck? Like, it's it's beautiful. I, I, I can't agree more. Like, it's... Um, you forget, like, coming into this film, you think of King Kong on um, the Empire State Building, right? But you forget, like, the first 40 minutes of this film are just with dinosaurs. And um, the log scene, which is incredible. I mean, the log scene is what inspired this film, essentially, on screen from a visual effects standpoint, um, because it was borrowed from another short, right? Um, but that scene of him, like, picking up the log and shaking it and then fighting the T-Rex is... Mm is gorgeous beautiful it, it is it is and you know um i as we'll, we'll kind of get back to kong but there are a few actually pretty great human performances that i do think that we would kind of be remiss not to talk about one of them is fey ray because like fey ray acts the hell out of Anne, and she is mm -hmm. so so good uh, and and like you you just notice like tiny things about her performance that is really good. There's like a there's a nervous energy to her that I think is really well well uh, choreographed as far as like just her hands. Like you notice like if she's nervous like she'll get antsy hands, and uh, you know the way that she'll kind of like move about and the way she she will like kind of act in a scene can really uh her body movements will really give you a good indicator of how she's feeling and how the character is feeling and 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 how how she's kind of dealing with this scenario and i think that was like a really awesome subtle touch that is you know her scream is iconic of course right she's the yes. she's she's the first cream queen and that's because a whole bunch of movies got released right around the same time 
Um, because what happened is this movie took so long to film, there was like huge swaths of time where uh, the actors had nothing to do and had to find different work. And she just happened to be in a bunch of horror movies in that time period that all got released around the same era. Um, and they, it was like a one-two punch. And all of them came out right in the same time period. So she became the very first Scream Queen. Um, and she was acting before sound, which I think, again, is in is pretty insane. Um, because she's actually in for Four Feathers, uh, which is one of their very er early movies, which is the one, the, which was 1929, and that was one of the last silent film epics ever made. Um, and she's like completely wasted in that movie. She doesn't do anything in that movie. She's like right. a, she she she's like barely even a presence. Um, and not 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 she's always a presence when she's there, but the script doesn't do anything with her, and she's wasted. And um, it it was really kind of amazing to just see her adapt so well to sound. I guess it, it it's a it's a thing that is kind of easy to lose in this whole process because this was. Uh, you know, at least for Marion C. Cooper, this was his first sound movie. Um, Ernest Schrodzak did do the most dangerous game before this, so he had some experience with sound. But it, it's it well, is she was really... in that as well. Oh yes, that's true, and and so was Robert Armstrong, right? Mm -hmm. And Ro Robert Armstrong was in that as well, who played Denim. Um, but it, it was just really kind of amazing that they kind of all adapted to the talkie era so well because that's an entirely different skill set really like once you add sound into the mix like there's a whole bunch of new things that you need to experience and and, and solve um and again uh it's just uh it's really notable that they were able to kind of transition into this in entirely new world of film right and i i just i, I don't think and knock it really... the fuck out of the park and right, not like... get the fuck out of the park. Like, I don't think people realize just how big of a change that would be. Mm. Um, it's like if all of a sudden every podcast had to be visual, uh, I would never do a podcast again. I have a podcast <laughs> for Radio Face. Um, I, you know, I would not have been able to go from a, a radio true. serial to uh, to a, a old timey TV. Uh, but but um, it's uh, it's just an entirely new skill set that they they kind of mastered. And uh, w with that, um, you know, we, we did talk about The Most Dangerous Game, uh, which just brings us to Robert Armstrong, who is amazing as Denim, right? Like, Denim is such mm -hmm. a scumbag in this. But he's, like, so, like, there's a, a manic energy to his performance that you can see how this man would convince all these people to kind of go along with him into danger. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, 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 if anything, it's, like, a really... You really kind of understand, uh, you know, how toxic environments get started with people, right? Like, it's always like this cult of personality, some really strong-willed, usually it's a man, it's because that's the only one who has this kind of stupidity to them, that they own the world, basically. Um, and they, they kind of rally all these people to just kind of completely destroy the natural world for their own means. And you could just kind of see how all these people kind of got so entrenched and involved in this, um, yeah. which is just kind of, uh, a, a, another wild thing to kind of think about. Right? Yeah. I mean, I was going to say the exact same thing, Andrew, where, you know, you watch this movie and you, 
at every at every step, every juncture where a decision is made and Denim says what he wants to be done, you as an audience member are screaming that that's not what everyone should do, but he plays it so well that you understand how people are just going to follow along with him because he's so self-assured and um he just like anticipates that everyone's going to going to go along and do what he says and they do because um he just is such a commanding presence that even when he has horrible horrible ideas they want to follow him yeah um robert armstrong was an incredible actor right like he had a huge career spent you know decades of um you know films worth of films right um and this character is so good like you're so right both of you like he you know, it's, it's such a great performance that essentially does the same performance that Mighty Joe Young, and it works there too. Like, it, you know, it's um, uh, it's an iconic performance. You know, almost as much as Fay Ray, but Fay Ray, you know, is Fay Ray and Kong are the stars of this sh- this show, as far as I'm concerned. You know, oh, 100 percent. And and again, I think um, there's a reason. I would almost say the third star is that Max Steiner score. Like I yeah, can, I can yeah. see why for a music class, Sophie, you had to you had to watch this because you know it gorgeous. It's it's so good, and the 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 music really tells a story and can kind of really help to set a tone. So especially in that there's that that scene where like Kong is kind of undressing Anne, right? Mm-hmm. Which is which is a scene which has been read and read and read and torn apart by every single person who ever tries to talk about Kong, right? Um, and I think that it's really it's really just a playful sequence. Like it, I agree. Th- th- I don't. I don't. I personally, I, I Sophie, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this because I don't really feel that there's anything sexually involved for Kong. Like it just because, especially with the music, because the music is like, yeah, that's not how it reads at all. Yeah, but oh man, let me tell you, Sophie, you want me to go out and go to get a book and I'll tell you 20, 25 uh, articles about how Kong represents Denim's sexual id because he can't bone Faye? Anyways. Maybe. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I mean, I feel like it's uh, an act of innocence, like he's interested in the fabric, but I don't think that's outside the boundaries of no, no, how no, you no, could no. view this just, film. Yeah, that's fair, but I, I hate that reading, but that's a personal <laughs> preference. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, but again, the, 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 reason, sorry, the reason I even brought it up is because the tone that's being set forward with the music is playful, right? Like th- that you could, you could, any, uh, you could, choose any different like a different song choice there a different uh, musical accompaniment that scene would have a totally different meaning right Mm -hmm. and i i I think that uh that that is one of the things that's really notable is that max steiner really nailed down a tone and a theme and he he wrote music to match the action right like there's that scene where you know the 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 chieftain is is like coming down the steps right and there's like a musical cue to for like every step he makes right and it just you know even in scenes that are as as uh, as we have talked about is are completely backwards uh, as that 
um, you know, it's still uh, notable uh, how good the music is uh, in that sequence to really kind of liven up the 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 happenings that that are going on. And you know, while while we are talking about the chieftain, I I I would be remiss if I didn't kind of bring up the fact that this is uh, uh this was made by by this is Noble Johnson. This is mm-hmm. that that's who played the role, and he was extremely important to um the black cinema as a whole, um because he in 1916 he made his own studio that was specifically f- supposed to be focused on making entertainment for black audiences. Mm-hmm. And, and this was the Lincoln motion picture company with stuff like 20,000 leagues under the sea, the terror, like all sorts of stuff in there. Yeah, um, yeah, that's... exactly. And you know, that's uh, you know, it's, it's really, really inspiring. And it's a, it's a footnote in history that, you know, is not, is not talked about enough is that, you know, Unfortunately, by by 1933, the studio was no more. But you know, he did start it. He did he did do one of the very first versions uh, of that, and and you know, in a time that you know, as we see, like the 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 roles that were written for people of color were really bad. He had a great uh, 30s, right? Because he was uh, also in the Mummy. He, he, uh, well, right, but again, like, he, none of those were good before. Like, he was, no, 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 but that, can, those, like, he, he was kind of stuck in these, yeah, these, these really racist films. And, you know, it, it is really kind of uh, unfortunate because, you know, his, his career was, he was really trying to, um, make it so that was not a thing. Um, and unfortunately, again, at the early, the early era of, of, of filmmaking, uh, yeah, they just weren't ready for it, I guess, but, um, it, it, I would be remiss if I didn't at least uh, kind of sure. bring him up and bring his uh, bring his impact to the the world of film. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, especially because not. I mean, even outside, like your point, Andrew, is that like even to get a role as a black actor that wasn't like super racist. So the fact that he outside of that was able to start his own production company and like especially at a time when outside of Hollywood, it was pretty impossible for black people to get very much of anything done um, because there was Mm -hmm. so much um, segregation and so many policies that sort of kept people from being allowed to do anything productive. It it just makes it all the more impressive to think about it outside the context of Hollywood altogether that he was able to create that. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, I I remember I was I was furious because I was reading the the one of the few King Kong books that's still in print that has not been updated is the Making of King Kong um, by Orville Goldner and a few other people, mm-hmm. and they they talked about Noble Johnson like man that it was so great for him that the way that uh, black uh, black and white film was that he could play any race. Like any number of uh, uh, of of race uh, races, it, it was great. He could just play all of these because of how uh, how 
black yeah. and white film was. And I was like, uh, guys, like that's not good. That that dude had to had to do take these roles because that was he needed to eat, right? But you know that is not a good thing, right? And if you look through his uh, his career, you call you said the mummy, right? Like mm-hmm. he he was not playing a, a person that was actually of his race in the mummy. No, nope. he, he was not doing it. He he played, you know, he he was in a lot of westerns. Uh, yeah, she wore a yellow um, ribbon. I think he plays um, a Native American, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, again, like it's, it's bad. It was bad. It was a bad time. <laughs> it was yeah. Bad yeah. Time. I mean, I, I'm, I am sort of glad because I've read that book as well that, um, you know, it, of course, it's good to update stuff, but it's also good to see like the mindset of um, the people of that era. Right. Because it That's gives true. us it gives us a contextual understanding of the struggle of a somebody um you know, of his caliber, right? Like, I think it it, it just, um, it's important for us to understand that contextually, I think, um, to to um, credit him with his struggle, you know, because to Sophie's point, it's incredible he what he accomplished, especially early in his career, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so, um, Sophie, we haven't got much of your opinions on the dinosaurs. What do you think about the dinosaurs? That's a, this podcast was once about the dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, the stop motion was just incredibly nostalgic for me. You know, I grew up on a lot. I mean, I think probably several of us did. Like, I grew up on a lot of really fun stop motion kids movies. Um, I'm thinking specifically of all the Rankin and Bass Christmas stuff. Like, there's mm. just something so wonderful about watching th- stop motion animation it makes my heart so warm and especially um stop motion sort of from this era of like the 30s and 40s and 50s where like there's ju- it's just like it's a little jumpy you know like and i don't say that to disparage the craft at all like it looks great but it, it just like it looks a little bit different than when you see like Seth Green and Breckenmeyer doing stop motion on Robot Chicken, right? Like, it's a different medium, mm-hmm. and I love the, like, I love the texture of it, if that makes sense. Right. No, that that's, you know, one of the points that's kind of important to remember about that is that um, there was a different, like, the amount of frames per second for, um, you know, for silent films were a lot lower than the frames per second for, like, sound pictures so again like it was another thing where they kind of had to get used to that 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 level of you know the added the added level of frames they would have to take and uh i thought again they did a great job but i just think that's also like a good thing to note is how um you know the the when you go from silent to sound the the things that changed were a lot more significant than just sound um it was it was a huge technical leap forward that it just again, it's really hard to contextualize to from a modern perspective. I would yeah. I would well, imagine. and like, like you said earlier, I, as though going from silent to sound in and of itself would not have been enough of a technical jump, right? Right, exactly. Uh, you know, one of the things that's so fascinating about this is like all the sounds the creatures make, which I I love. Like I love. The like the hisses and the like the roars of like the the T Rex. Uh, well, okay, sorry. Let's let's deal with that right now. 
Was it a T-Rex? It had a few extra hands in the script. I think it's either a man-eater or a meat-eater. Uh, it's unspecified. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, Marion C. Cooper always called it an Allosaurus. Uh, it does seem to probably be a, a T-Rex because, um, you know, that's what Willis O'Brien and company wanted to to portray. And there was just a, an extra an extra little little hand on them okay they are a mutant t-rex and they have an extra finger okay that's it that's it we're just gonna we're just gonna call it i didn't notice so what it has an extra finger on its hand yeah instead of like the two the two fingers there's like an extra an extra finger if you notice the like uh when they when they shoot the poor defenseless stegosaur like there's one of the meanest oh it's awful it's one of the meanest things in cinema when they just like go up and cold cock that stegosaurus in the and eye. Yeah. Like they oh. suit him in the eye. And you're like, oh, that poor baby. Um, he has uh, a few extra tail spikes as well. Like if you if you if you notice that, I um, did not the, notice it, that. Yeah, so I think the reason why he has a few extra tail spikes was actually due to some drawings that they were basing it off of. I know for the Lost World, they used a bunch of Charles R. Knight uh, drawings, but I think there was a different drawing of a Sega store that had a few extra uh, plates or something. Cinema Sins number two. <laughs> a a cinema <laughs> Sin for each extra spike. <laughs> Much like the Galapagos Islands, okay, each of these T-Rexes and Stegosaurus have evolved differently. So that's that's all. <laughs> I mean, you know what? You convinced me, Richard Attenborough. <laughs> got it. Got him. You got it. You got it. Uh, oh. J- Jason, what do you what do you think about the the eponymous dinosaurs? I mean, I know they kind of get swiped up and kind of uh, taken taken uh, aback because you know Kong is the star, but the dinosaurs are dead here. Yeah. Um. Uh, I mean, I love the dino. I mean, I, again, I think it's an incredibly overlooked part of this film is all the stuff involving dinosaurs. It's thrilling. Um, they look great. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else, I, what other um, accolades I can heap upon this other than um, from the moment they, you know, Feyre is um, abducted by King Kong. Um, Every moment of this film is pure joy to me, um, including all the dinosaur stuff. Yes, it's horrible what they do, that Stegosaurus, um, but it looks great. It looks great. And definitely, there's a little bit of dinosaur slander in here, right? Like I said, the Brontosaurus would not be attacking people. It was a gentle giant. Hey, you hippos lay off the Brontosaurus. People. Hippos attack people if they nope. show up? Yeah, but they're territorial. The Brontosaurus was... There's no reason to believe that the Brontosaurus would go out of its way to attack these people. The Stegosaurus hey, Jason, just charges Jason. for no reason. It's Jason, bullshit. Jason, they evolved Just like the Galapagos on... Islands. <laughs> just like the no, Galapagos. They nope, evolved nope, differently. Nope, Jason nope. will it's not hear person. this slander. I will not hear this. <laughs> Put some respect on right. Brontosaurus' name. Yep. I, I mean, I think it just adds to the fact that the... I think... Um, and this kind of goes back to what we are talking about with the dress. Like, I think... Um, the sentiment of this film, which I think is a little progressive, is that the people are the bad guys. Like, I think that's in the text of this film or the subtext I, of it. I, I don't 
I like I agree it's a very easy read to do but like again these are like it's autobiographical like I don't think they Well but they also call him straight up a bad person like in the film so maybe he's just you know unburdening his soul about you know how <laughs> he, he feels to, you know He needs people to know that he <laughs> understands he's trash I was yeah, I'm trash that's what he's saying He's Forky he's the <laughs> Oh, yes. I forgot. Forky, <laughs> the le- legendary fighter pilot. And, uh, yes. Marion C. Cooper is the Forky of genre <laughs> oh, filmmaking God, is so in that good. he's coming out saying he's trash. And, you know, I applaud him for that. You know, it doesn't absolve him of the horrible things he's done, but it does at least, you know, um, show some room for growth, you know? You know that's fair. I mean, I think that would be that 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 is uh, the the very very interesting idea. <laughs> it's but incredibly you, generous view of this film, but I don't. I mean, I know. Hey, I mean, why not? I mean, again, you know, it's one of those things where you know all of the like pretty much all of the the big hands and the big people who made this film are no longer with us, so there's really not anyone to even ask about some of these things. <laughs> and you know, even so, like um, some of the stuff that you see of. Um, the older documentaries of like, um, you know, when when they're close to the end, like I don't know, I, I you know, um. Well, I, I think there's some like if you have, did you watch the um the huge one about art, like the uh production six hundred two on yes. the Blu-ray? Yeah, that Maurice Spivak, Spivak, who did all the uh the dinosaur sounds and all the sounds, he was such a cute old man. I thought. Yeah, no, I'm I'm talking more of like you know Mary C. Cooper and ah, Mary C. Cooper. Yeah, I, I did all this shit. I'm Mary C. Cooper. Um, yeah. <laughs> the special effects people are always the better people. Let's be honest. <laughs> Anyway, you know? anyways, <laughs> let's, you know, let, let's get into that final element of the film from the capture to the, the destruction. Um, this is one of the, the, the very first city destruction sequences, not the well, first, mind you, not the first. Uh, you got to remember the Lost World existed, which had a brontosaurus kind of also mm-hmm. wrecking shop, um, more dinosaur slander. <laughs> Sophie. What did you think of that final final element of the film with the, the all the stuff that is truly iconic about the film, really? Um, man, it's so hard to I mean, so much of this movie is really sad, but that final sequence is so hard to watch because even if you've never seen King Kong, you know how this is inevitably going to end, right? And um I I really didn't recall and was so devastated by the shots of King Kong's like bloodied body on the ground at the base of the mm. building. Like, gosh, it's so, it's so brutal. This final sequence is so sad and seeing, um, you know, from the sort of, sort of from the jump, right. When they reveal him on stage and it is depressing, like, it is depressed because at this point we've spent so much time with this character and you know, you so empathize with Kong and to see him like chained up and clearly very afraid and unsure what's happening because he's chained up in a room with like thousands of people looking at him in a completely foreign setting. Um, And you know, the entire time he's just trying to keep Anne safe Right? Like, he doesn't understand that everyone is reading what he does as threatening. That's not what he's trying to do. And so, 
Ugh, it's just so heartbreaking. Like, I was just, like, in tears by the end of the movie when they when they show sort of, like, his wow. crumpled body. It's yeah. just, like, it's it's awful. It is awful. And I think especially, you know, like, we've alluded to the idea that this movie absolutely has been read in various ways as far as how it is portraying race and whether or not the way, like, whether or not uh, Kong stands in sort of as, like, a a symbol for black men in general. Um, but just like watching it through that lens now and watching this character that we care about be completely misunderstood and misconstrued as threatening when he isn't and then left in a bloody heap on the ground was really challenging to watch. Yeah. Um, I think it's really the, uh, the reaction shots, I think are really what gets you right. Like the, the, like Kong realizes that he has been, he has been shot. Um, it has really kind of, uh, really kind of gets you really kind of, really kind of gets you. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very, very, uh, affecting and kind of affected uh, I think that's really the reason why this movie kind of sticks is because they really nail that ending no I, I mean totally totally I mean it, it's heartbreaking it's um, thrilling it's it lives up to it's you know um, entire mystique and legend which is so big that it may be the biggest in cinema you know um, and it lives up to all of that 90 years later. And I don't know what else to say about it, but that, um, yeah, it's, it's everything quite honestly. They're really, they're really well only ever be one King Kong. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the son of King Kong too. I don't know if you... The son of Kong and then King Kong 76. Six. Well, King the Kong son lives. of Kong is really and Prince King, Kong, right? And then King Kong versus Godzilla and then King Kong escapes, and uh-huh. then there's uh, King Kong 2005, and then there's uh, Kong Skull Island, and now there's Godzilla versus Kong. But there will only be one Kong. Mm-hmm. 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 Jason. And then there's Donkey Kong, too. I don't know if you... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> In Mechanic Kong. I think you forgot about Mechanic Kong. No, I didn't. He's in uh, King Kong Escapes. Oh, well, yeah, but, you know. But so is regular Kong, right? Well, where can we find you on the internet, Jason? <laughs> I'm being cut off. I'm being cut off. <laughs> There's like a curve um, coming out to pull you off stage. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, you know, on Twitter, you know, Bad Attitude 86 on Twitter. Um, I have my own podcast moments of madness which is coming by the time this comes out the next episode will be about which is myself and our um you know um everyone here's long long time um you know co-conspirator luke talking about cartoon all-stars to the rescue so nice this episode literally comes out tonight oh okay we'll be out tomorrow then i didn't know you were you were moving this this fast on this episode because there's a lot to edit out of the shit that i've said so um yeah you know, good luck to that. Sophie, where can we find you on the internet? <laughs> um, 
Oops. I also have a podcast where my sister and I uh, sort of gab about horror movies. So if you've ever felt like you really just wanted to listen to two ladies talk about horror as though you were all at brunch together, then you can check us out. Uh, that's 28 Days Ladier. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Phillies Femme. That's Phillies like the baseball team and Femme like a French lady. Oh, yeah. And I review <laughs> movies over at uh, Bloody Good Horror. I just did uh, five Sundance screenings. So there are five nice. Sundance reviews. Three of them are out on bloodygoodhorror.com. And two of them are coming later this week. Awesome. Awesome. Nice. Nice. And you can follow this podcast on wherever you find podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can please rate us five stars. You can follow us on Twitter at, at Wine Movie Nerd. Thank you, and have a great day. Goodbye.